to begin by telling you about a young man who was hired in a sales job at a large department store. It was one of those massive department stores that has um, you know, every department imaginable. And the boss said, well, you can start tomorrow. That's Friday morning, and I'll pop in and see how you go and how you've gone at least at close of business tomorrow night. And when the boss uh, did pop in to see the young man, he was um, <clears throat> shaking hands with a beaming customer. And after they parted, he walked over and asked, well, that looked pretty good. How many sales did you make today? Well, that was the only one, said the young salesman. Only one, blurted the manager. Most of my staff make 20 or 30 in a day. You're going to have to do better than that, I'm afraid. How much was that sale worth? He said $237,340. He looked at the receipt and change. He said, the boss sort of paused for a moment, blinked a few times and said, however did you manage that? He said, well, he came in this morning and wanted to buy a small fish hook. And then I sold him a medium fish hook and a large fish hook. And then I sold him a small fishing line, a medium line and a big line. And then I sold him a spear gun, wetsuit, scuba gear, and nets. When I asked him where he was going fishing, he said, well, down the coast. And we decided he probably needed a new boat. So I took him down to the boat department and sold him that twin-engine Chris Craft, you know, the one that's on display out there. And the manager's going, yeah, yeah. And then he said he didn't think his Mercedes could pull it. So I took him to the automotive department and sold him a Cadillac Escalade SUV, you know, with the winch, the the storage rack, the built-in refrigerator, oh, and floor mats. The boss took two steps back in astonishment. You sold all that to a guy who came in to buy a small fish hook? He said, no, no, no. He came in to buy a blanket. A blanket? Yeah, an extra blanket for the couch. He had a fight with his wife and I said, your weekend's ruined, you may as well go fishing. (laughs) From a small fish hook to a truck and a boat. The power of the small and the impact that can have. You know, it's been said, anyone who underestimates the power of something small has never spent a night in a tent with a mosquito. When you read the Bible, it's hard to miss the fact, the point that God delights in using the single, the little, and the small. Whether it's a small person like the little girl that introduced Nahum to the healing prophet, Elisha, when he got healing as a result, you read about that in 2 Kings 5. Or small gift of a boy's lunch that Jesus then takes and multiplies to feed 5,000. Or small numbers where Jonathan and his armor bearer said nothing can stop the Lord from saving, whether it's by few or by many. And in 1 Samuel 14, we see that he and his armor bearer take on the Philistine army and there's a massive uh, fight that takes place and they they prevail. Or small moments like in the parable of the prodigal son where he comes to his senses in a brief moment. And gives and turns around and returns to his father. Or the small moment that we took when we simply surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's a little leaven or a cup of cold water, a teenage mother, a baby in a manger, a single star in the east, a jar of oil, a couple of coins, a mustard seed, small and little feature a lot in the word. It could be true to say, though, that we love the gigantic. We love the huge. We love the the mammoth, the immense, the vast. But with God, that doesn't seem to be the case. Now, he still loves that stuff, but he doesn't necessarily work with that stuff. He seems that that big stuff impresses us. On the other hand, God seems to operate with a different scale. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, Who dares to despise the day of small things? 
And that shouldn't surprise us, though, should it? I mean, the prophet Isaiah tells us in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts, this is the Lord speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the apostle Paul, when writing to the church at Corinth, encouraged them to look, take a look around, guys. Take a look around. Not many of you were celebrities. Not many had any real renown in any way, shape, or form. Not many of you were especially gifted. Not many were rich or mighty. And in verse 26 of the first letter that he wrote in his first chapter to the, book, to the church at Corinth, he said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. They were just ordinary, run-of-the-mill, everyday folk. And if you read on, you'll see that Paul actually was pointing out to that particular church that God often uses the nobodies of the world. What does that say to us today? There's hope for me. (laughs) He can use even me. Yeah, there are many stories of nobodies and ordinary people that um, the Lord has used in amazing ways. I mean, who would have thought that a, a man by the name of John Bunyan, born in England in 1628, some describing him as an illiterate tinker. In other words, he just repaired pots and pans. Who would have ever thought that once thrown into prison, etc., he would write the book, The Pilgrim's Progress? And some estimate that apart from the Bible, that book has reached more people for Jesus Christ. Incredible. Or who would have guessed that a 16-year-old boy from North Carolina in the U.S. who had done nothing really to make himself different from anyone else of his age, after surrendering his life to the Lord, that the Lord would use him to become one of the world's foremost evangelists. I'm talking of Billy Graham. It's said that he has preached to more than 200 million people and that 4 million people are fully devoted followers of Christ as a result of him speaking to those 200 million. That's not the... Numerous millions of others who responded to altar calls. This is the four million that actually stuck with that decision and are following Christ. It's amazing. Why? Why does God delight in taking what the world considers small and insignificant and then doing something significant with it? In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul, the apostle, speaks to the church there and he says this. But he, referring to the Lord, said to me, referring to himself, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in Weakness. Paul goes on to say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And in first Corinthians chapter one, twenty seven through twenty nine, he says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one can boast before me. So Why does he use the small and the little? It is so he gets the honor and the glory for what is achieved, and it ensures our hope and trust are in him. You know, I find that quite comforting. Because when you stop and look around and think about what's going on in the world, we might think we've actually got very little to offer to bring a solution to any of it. What difference can we make? That's partly the reason why some people don't choose to vote in an election. They think, well, what's my one vote going to do anyway? Well, throughout history, one vote has changed history. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language as opposed to the German language. In the year 1800, one vote kept Aaron Burr from becoming president. Instead, Thomas Jefferson did. 
1668, one vote saved President Andrew Jackson from impeachment. In 1785, one vote changed France from being a monarchy to a republic. In 1923, one vote made Adolf Hitler leader of the Nazi party. One vote. One vote can make a difference. Having said that, looking at the international scene and the tension that seemingly is there when you open the pages of the newspaper, we might be feeling somewhat uh, helpless. Our own political situation, our crime rate, social injustice issues, health issues, it might all make us want to just go back to bed and pull the covers over our head. We may feel that we have little to offer a world that is seemingly in so much trouble. But it's when we have to stop and take stock. Yes, it is true. We have little in the natural to offer the world given the state it's in. And we may feel that we're nobody and have nothing to offer. But we do have one very significant thing. Him. Jesus. Jesus. We have the Lord of heaven and earth resident with us and within us. And he delights in taking the nobodies and the nothings and working with them to make and do something. Remember, he took nothing and working with that nothing and out of that nothing created everything. And he's not changed. He's the same today as he was yesterday and he will be forever. Charles Spurgeon, who's a a preacher from numbers of years ago, said, even a little dog can bark at a thief. Wake the master and save the house. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we can do what he's called us to do. He took an 80-year-old shepherd who was on the run from the law and turned him into a mighty deliverer we know as Moses. He took a young, timid teenager and turned him into Jeremiah the prophet. And we can read his book in the Old Testament. He took a young man, Gideon, who was racked with insecurity and inferiority, thinking he was the worst and the smallest in his clan, etc., etc., fearful for his own life, and used him to deliver the nation of Israel. We shouldn't despise the small or little. Do you know why? Because God doesn't. He doesn't. It's been said anyone can look at an apple and count the seeds, but only God can look at the seed and count the apples. In Scotland in the early 1800s, a faithful minister was somewhat rebuked one Sunday morning when one of his deacons came to church early and said this, I came early to church to meet you. I have something on my conscience that I must tell you. It's funny, isn't it? Before church. I need to tell you this. I've been waiting all week to tell you, and I'm waiting on Sunday morning before we start church. Anyway, let that be a lesson to everyone. That's <clears throat> no, absolutely true. It's amazing. Five to ten and someone will rock up to you. And, no, I'm not going there. Anyway, he came to this guy and he said, I have something on my conscience to tell you. There must be something wrong with your preaching and work. There's been only one person added to the church in a whole year, and he's only a boy. Well, needless to say, the old minister got into the pulpit and was feeling somewhat grieved and heavy of heart. And afterwards, he lingered in the church to pray. Everyone else had gone home. He wished to be alone. He had labored hard for years, only to be told that his labor was fruitless and unproductive. Soon he became aware that he actually wasn't alone, as he had supposed. There was someone else there. And it was only that little boy that he had led to the Lord earlier that year. His name was Robert. Well, Robert, said the minister, what is it? And the boy said, do you think if I was willing and worked really hard, I could get an education and become a preacher, maybe even a missionary. 
And there was a long pause and tears began to fill the old minister's eyes. And finally he said, this heals my aching heart. Robert, I see the divine hand now. Yes, I think you will become a preacher. That boy grew up to be a preacher. None other than the man called Robert Moffat, who became a great missionary who served in Africa for 50 years, impacting the souls of countless people. He and his wife, Mary, had a daughter. Her name was Mary as well. And she married a man by the name of David Livingston, the great African explorer and missionary. We don't know the impact of the little that we have. All we have to do is be willing to offer it to him. And he delights in using the little and multiplying it for his purposes. And sometimes that directly benefits us as well. Look at 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. You enjoying this? I struggled over putting this together. I'm going to be absolutely honest, but the Lord is good. But I find this passage really, really fantastic. You know, a, a wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as a slave. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Well, your servant has nothing there at all. She said, Except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for some empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Then all the jars were full. She said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went on and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. A little in his hands is all that he needs. We just have to be willing to offer it and be obedient to what he tells us. Now imagine, imagine if this woman says, I can't do that, go scrounge empty jars off my neighbors. What are my neighbors going to think of me? Or if she thought, that sounds like too much work. Isn't there an easier option? Couldn't we just pray? We have to do what he tells us to do and offer what we've got to him. If she hadn't done what he had told her, she'd still be in debt. But in relying on him and doing what he says and believing for God's best for the little that we have, we will see his hand of blessing to ourselves and to others as well. You know, you might have heard of the old man walking down the beach who noticed a young man further ahead of him on the beach, picking up starfish and flinging them into the sea. Catching up with the young man, he asked, what are you doing? The young man answered, these starfish are stranded on the beach. When the morning sun comes up, they're going to die. And he said, well, it's impossible. You can't help all these starfish. There's millions of them. This beach goes for miles. How do you think your efforts will make a difference? The young man looked at the starfish he had in his hand, flung it into the safety of the waves, and said it made a difference for that one. The truth is, we may feel we have little to offer, but we have to realize we do have a little. Consider Matthew 18.20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Now, you'll agree that that is not a lot of people. That's a very small group. But think about the power of that statement. The consequences of that. If a small number of people gather together in his name and are unified, because that's the context of that particular scripture, he is there. That means all the power necessary to create the entire universe is present there with you. That's phenomenal. That's incredible. But it also sounds like a contradiction to us. Small and power. As I said earlier, we're conditioned to believe that power is in the big things. The bigger the thing, the more powerful. 
But that's not necessarily the case. He whittled Gideon's army from 32,000 down to 300, and with them prevailed over the enemy. David was half the size of Goliath. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a small town, not a large city. Five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 people. Small doesn't mean impotent, it doesn't mean powerless, and it doesn't mean pathetic. We might think that we don't have much to offer. We might be getting a little older and thinking, well, I'm older now. It's a young person's world. I'll I'll leave that to them. But the truth is, if you're still breathing, God has still got work for you to do. Did you know today is the International Day of the Older Person? Did you know that? Didn't you know that? Surely that's on your calendar. Did you not? I can't believe that. Chris. Did you know that there is a little room out the back here? (laughs) We'll have a conversation later. (laughs) No, good on you, man. Always did like you. Help him, Jesus. There's a scripture in Luke 6, 27. Pray for those who persecute you. (laughs) But it is the International Day of the Older Person. I actually didn't know it. I had to have that pointed out to me. But if you're older, I want to honor you. We want to honor you. You've gone before us and paved the way. You've fought many, many battles. You have stories of faith and you've got stories of overcoming and stories of victory that we want to hear. Because it encourages us and we think, man, if you can do it, I can too. And um, so we just want to honor you and say thank you for the, the price you've paid to be who you are. The way that you've fought those battles gallantly, gallantly and, and, and we just want to say thank you. You've gained a lot of wisdom, but it's not over yet. Share those stories with us. Tell us how God has prevailed in and through your life. Tell us about it. Tell us the stories of faith. Tell us the stories of victory. And tell us of your failings as well, because we want to learn from your experiences, not from our own. And then you say, that happened to me, but it was too late. We want to know before so we can learn from it. That's why I'd rather learn from here and go through it myself than find a scripture later that backs up what I just went through. That's why it's important that we're in this. But you still have a huge part to play, and can I encourage you to keep praying? Because that's the most important thing to do of all. If we didn't have older people, I think you'd all agree we'd be less the richer. You might have been knocked around a wee bit by life and feeling a little bit sort of battle-weary and have little to offer. If you were here last week, you would have heard Carl speak of the parable of the Good Samaritan and how out of motivated out of love and kindness and caring for men, that man, sorry, who was waylaid by robbers, he cared for them, etc., And maybe we're feeling a little bit like that ourselves, beaten up by life, robbed of joy and purpose, lying on the side of the road of life. You know, the Good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. He comes alongside us with love and compassion to minister to us. And as the Good Samaritan poured oil and wine on the man's wounds, Jesus pours the oil of his spirit over our lives and into our lives. And the wine of his word refreshes and rejuvenates us. And just as the Good Samaritan paid a price for the innkeeper to remain with the man that had been attacked by robbers, Jesus paid a price that he by his spirit may come as the comforter and be with us from now until eternity. Yes, God. To meet our needs, to be with us, to minister to us. The price has been paid. We might feel we have little resource to speak of, not much physically to share with others, and therefore feel we don't really matter and aren't able to make a difference. But we all have something, though. Can I tell you about one of the three-year giving campaigns we had to buy the land this building sits on and these buildings. 
There was a lady who felt that she didn't have much. She wanted to give, but her husband wasn't part of our church, and, and he controlled the finances within the home, etc. But she was given a certain amount of money to pay for groceries for the family, etc. And she felt she could give $1.60 per week over a three-year period. That amounted to $250. And I think if, from memory she set up an AP, but the point being $1.60, $250. When I shared that story with, without disclosing who she was to a businessman in our church, it said it motivated him to pull his weight the next giving campaign. Her $1.60 inspired him to pull his weight. Don't despise the small. Walt Disney is quoted as saying, I only hope we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started with a mouth. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. The Lord delights in small. In fact, Matthew 18.3 says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're to become like a child. That's childlike, not childish. There's a big difference. God wants us to become childlike, have childlike submissiveness and meekness, a gleeful childlike heart and childlike faith. But when we become adults, we get a little bit more cynical. But a child hasn't been ruined by life and by the world. Think about it. You take a child to the park, get them out of the car, out of their car seat because you're a good parent, and then you hold them by the hand and you start walking with them to the play equipment, which is phenomenal. Someone has invested heaps. An engineer has designed it. It's got safety around it. It's amazing. It's incredible. You think it's wonderful. As an adult, the child, you got there, and the son, you stop them. What's happening? They're crouching down looking at a flower? Intrigued by a flower? Come on, come on. What's wrong with you? There's all this. We spent rates on this thing, man, and you want to look at a flower? I could have left you at home. (laughs) That's what a child's like. Someone put it this way. Think of the world as a big Olympic stadium, and we are running life's race for and with God. But the older we get, the more hurdles of doubt and concern we tend to put in front of us. And those hurdles slow us down, knock us off our stride, make us give up completely and what should be a growing relationship with God. Whereas an adult is more likely to give up on the race, a child sees the prize and keeps running. Childlike faith along with childlike love are an open road to God's heart. Think about a child for a minute. What qualities do they have? Well, they're innocent and trusting. Years ago, and it was years ago because he's about to get married in a few months' time, but our son, I'm in the kitchen. He leaps off the kitchen bench. I'm not even looking. And he says, Dad, catch! I spin around and catch him in the air. Now, I know you're asking, what's he doing on the kitchen bench? I don't remember. All I can say is, mum must have not been home. But he, he is just totally trusting. He's not saying, are you ready? He just leaps. A child believes without analysing things. My brothers and I, when we were younger, teenagers at least, we um, told our little cousin who was three sitting in a high chair who was eating a boiled egg with a spoon that if she wasn't careful, she'd fall into it. She believed it. She actually believed she'd fall into it. Yeah. She actually... I, she called out to my mum, could I fall in? She said, if you're not careful, dear. I loved her, mum. <laughs> a child receives with joy and has light-hearted abandonment. A child is content with small things and little things. Have you ever given a child a gift and they're more enamoured with the wrapping paper and the packaging that came in than the gift? A child has faith that can move mountains. Years ago, I remember putting our second daughter, Sarah, to bed at night, and I was saying I had a headache, and she said, I'll pray for you, Daddy. And out of her little bed covers came these skinny arms you know and reached out to my head to pray for me why because she'd seen it done 
She'd been here in church and she'd seen us do it for her. She prayed, I knew that I'd get healed. Why? Because God honors childlike faith. And the headache went. A child has wide-eyed wonder. A child takes God's word and all its simplicity and accepts it. Think of God as, and us as one would a parent with their children. Children are full of innocence. They come to their loving father and mother, trusting them to completely take care of them, to protect them, to provide for them, to correct them when they're wrong, and to love and cherish them. And Jesus is telling us that we need to have that type of trust and faith in the father and place the little we have in his hands. After all, we are his children. We should be able to come to him fully trusting without done. Why? Because he loves and cares for us. In John, oh, sorry, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said this in verse 14. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he reminds us that we are his children. In 1 John 3, 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Like a child, we should come before the Father, fully trusting in his word, fully engaged in his spirit, and fully open to his love and his commands. We can therefore have confidence that with him, the little that we have will have a large impact, even if it's just one life at a time, like the man with the starfish. We can have confidence that though we may feel insignificant, he, he will take that and cause us to have an impact and be, be of some significance. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against that? If it is, as is the case, he'll take the little and use it to multiply to feed a crowd of 5,000. He'll remove the giant in front of us with a small stone. Why? Because we come to him in the name of the Father. All we need to do is be like a child, and give it to him and trust him. I read of a five-year-old boy who loved the piano. At every opportunity he had, he would sit down and fiddle around on the keyboard. He'd never had any lessons, no formal training. But the boy had often been told, you're too young and too small to learn right now. Despite those discouraging words, he continued to practice. And the only song he knew how to play was Chopsticks. A very simple tune. You'll know it. I can play the piano, but you know what? That's one song I can't play. I had to go on YouTube to work out how to play it. Can you believe that, David? Amazing, eh? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Just a very simple tune, but he played it again and again and again. One day, his father surprised him with tickets for a symphony. A world-renowned Italian pianist was playing. The master musician was one of the great musicians of modern times. And on the night of the concert, as they were walking to their seats in the auditorium, the little boy spied the beautiful piano in behind the curtain. Without anyone noticing, he snuck over and sat down at the piano and began to play his elementary version of Chopsticks. About the same time, the curtain began to rise. And everyone expected to see the world-famous master pianist playing. Instead, they saw the little boy hunched over the piano playing Chopsticks. He was so caught up with his playing that he didn't realize anyone was watching. When he did notice, he was petrified. And just as he was about to get up and leap off and run off, he felt two large arms reaching around behind him. And then two large hands landed on the piano keys beside him. It was the master pianist. And he whispered in his ear, keep playing. Keep playing. And as the little boy continued to play his rendition of Chopsticks, Pianist joined in with a Beethoven symphony piece scored in the same key 
And it had the same rhythm and tempo as the chopsticks tune the five-year-old was playing. And under the direction of the master, he brought in the rest of the orchestra, first the woodwind, then the brass, and then the percussion. And the boy's father sat there with tears in his eyes. He could not believe what he was hearing. He had never dreamed the simple tune he had heard being played in the living room of his house would no longer sound like chopsticks, but would become a full, beautifully orchestrated Beethoven symphony. What made the difference? The master stepped in. And sometimes we might feel we don't have what it takes. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the talent. We don't have the know-how. We don't have the gift or the ability. The good news is that God does. All we have to do is offer the small to him, and the master steps in. And he'll put his hands over top of our hands and take the little we have and make it big. Little placed in his hands becomes a lot when the master steps in. And he puts the super into our natural and the extra to the ordinary. An amazing thing happens. Why? Because the master steps in. The truth is, we may be disappointed with the way the world has, our life has turned out. We've failed a few times. Maybe been thrown a few curveballs. Never hit a home run. Disappointed others and consequently were drawn into our shell. We may have little to offer and therefore feel we aren't valuable. We may have suffered loss and therefore somehow lost our childlikeness. It's not too late. We just have to allow the master to step in. And he'll turn it around. Psalm 23 says he restores our soul. That's our mind, our will, and emotions. Joel 2 says he will restore that which has been eaten in the past in our lives. And Psalm 51 says he restores our joy, particularly the joy of our salvation. It's never too late to ask the master to step in. As we come to him, we give him our past, broken as it may be. We give him our little, as small as it is. And he makes something beautiful out of it for the sake of his name. So we just have to give the little we have to him and keep playing our tune and allow the master to step in. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, I want to thank you that you are a loving God. And so often we feel that we've got little to offer you, and that which we have is broken. And I'm reminded of that song that I used to sing years ago, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, you understood. All I had to offer you was brokenness and strife, but you made something beautiful out of my life. Father, this morning we stand before your throne of grace and we say, take our brokenness, take our disappointment, take our pain. Pour your oil, the oil of your spirit over our lives and into our lives. Refresh us this week as we're in your word. Rejuvenate us, Lord, that we might be healed and made whole. We want to make a difference in this world that you love so much. A world that is broken, but you've called us to. We offer ourselves to you again. We ask that you, the master, would step in and add to our little tune, our chopsticks tune, as it were. Add to our tune, Lord. We invite you to step in and make a symphony from our lives that might impact the lives of others. In Jesus' glorious name, anoint us, Lord, we pray. And just in the stillness of this moment, why don't you just say, Lord, take my tune, take my little tune, Take my chin.
add to it. Invite the master to step in. And if you're in a need of restoration, just say, Lord, restore my soul. Work in my life, Holy Spirit. But I offer the little I have to you. Step in, Lord. Step in. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We're going to worship the Lord together.